Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Welcome to Portico Church. If you haven't heard that yet, welcome. Really glad you're here. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico, and we are continuing to press on in Galatians this morning, and we are heading into a new thought that's deeply and integrally connected to the rest of the book. And so you're kind of jumping into act two of the play here. And so I want to first remind us that everything we're going to talk about this morning, it flows out of what has come before in the book of Galatians, which is basically summarized as you are justified before God, before the judge of this universe, not by your obedience to the law but by Christ's obedience to the law, his death on your behalf, behalf, and his resurrection. And when you trust in that, you are declared by that judge righteous. You are declared righteous by the God of the universe. That's justification by faith. And Paul's been arguing and he's been passionately defending that truth from false teachers. And now, this morning, he turns the page to what flows out of that justification. And it's our sanctification, our becoming more like God, the process by which we are made holy, a process that God has began in us and that we participate in. And so that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. And this will absolutely bring conviction to you. There's something in here for everyone. (laughs) And so prepare to be humbled. Prepare to have your conscience pricked a little bit. Prepare to maybe be offended at some of the things in here. And all I would say about all of that is that praise God for it all. Because we need to have our consciences agitated. We need to be humbled. We need to be offended by the reality that God is God and we are not. And so we're going to come face to face with that reality. And we're also going to see something that is beautiful and is worth living for as we pursue it. So we're going to be in Galatians 5. And this is verse 16 through, 25, through 26 Excuse me, this morning. Go ahead and read it. You can turn there and follow along with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the specificity that you speak to us. Lord, you are not just giving us instructions generally and letting us figure it out. But you give us specific instructions, specific places to look in our lives, in our hearts, things to cultivate, things to remove. And so, Lord, my prayer for us, for your people, for this church, is that we would have a lifelong focus on killing sin, on destroying these works of the flesh in our lives, in our hearts, in our desires. And Lord, that we would devote ourselves to growing in the Spirit, becoming more like you, becoming your children, even as we are. And so God, we need your Spirit here this morning to help us, to give us power and strength, to give us conviction to train us in righteousness. Lord, be with us this morning as we pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw a commercial this week that was too good to pass up, so I'm going to share it with you. It's an Australian commercial, which means it's way better than U.S. commercials. And the commercial is a kind of make-believe world, and it's got the different generations kind of segmented out. And it starts with an older person in Boomertown riding their bike, and, you know, they have their cell phone in front of them, and they're crashing into stuff as they go. And the light is on of their cell phone, and the noise notification is on on their cell phone, and they're reading a newspaper and, you know, saying hi to everybody, and it's a boomer, right? It's the boomer generation. And then it cuts to another place where it's a bunch of young people and they're all very neoned out and they have AirPods in and their devices are out and they're walking around just perfect. They look good. They know it. Their lives are fun. They know it. And they start arguing at the boomers and the boomers remind them that, hey, yeah, we're the ones who actually created the World Wide Web. And then the gap between them grows. And this Gen Z person says, oh, classic boomer, deepening the generational divide. Then it cuts to another guy. He's a little bit older, but not super old. And he's sitting in a lawn chair, and he's like, why does no one listen to us? Generation X has so much to... And then it cuts. <laughs> and that's the last, last we hear of Generation X in the ad. And then it goes to a couple of people on a rock climbing wall. And they're just ever so slightly out of shape, 
but still trying. And they're wearing clothes that are probably a few years out of date. And they're looking at each other and they're like, man, that was just so not slay. And then the other one says, oh, we're saying slay now? And then rehearses, slay, slay, slay. And it's the millennials, and they're trying to stay relevant. They're trying to stay cool. They're trying to stay involved. And I I thought that was great. That's the beginning of the ad, and I thought it was a great description. It's a stereotype, of course, but actually there's a lot of truth in it. It's very astute. And as I was thinking about this text and the call that is in here from God to us to become holy, I was a little bit worried for myself, for us as a church, that holiness sometimes is too strange. It's too weird. And so we kind of eject prematurely. We don't follow Christ into the strangeness of holiness because we want to be relevant. Or maybe we don't follow Christ into the strangeness of holiness because we think that we are already perfect. And we think that our judgment, our wisdom is actually better than God's. And so we twist his word, we reject it, and we create a God of our own creation. Or maybe we live personal lives where personally we try to follow Christ as best we can, but we're a little bit embarrassed of Christ's lordship in our lives when it comes to the people around us. And so we are like, yeah, this is what I believe and what you believe is okay. And we do what Romans 1 condemns, which is giving approval to people who are practicing lawlessness. And what we also do is we just remove any need for a Christ who saves to our neighbors. And so this morning, we're going to be presented with something better, something harder, undoubtedly, but something better than kind of our default position, our default perspective to our lives and the lives of the people around us. And we're going to see that this process of sanctification is described as basically as gardening. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And what we're called to do is to kill, to put to death the works of the flesh, weeds. It's pulling weeds and working with the Spirit for His fruit. We are to pull the weeds from the root and work with the Spirit for His fruit. And this is what we see in verse 16 through 18, is that this is a life of conflict. The life that you are called into is freedom, and there's a ton of conflict in that freedom that you're called into. You are placed in the middle of a war. And so if you are a Christian, you should feel tension in your life every day. You should feel conflict and inner turmoil within you. You should notice how you are different, 
how you have different desires that might seem strange, but they are good. Why? Because the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. And when you are called, when you're called to freedom, that calling is accompanied by the gift of the spirit of adoption, going back into Galatians. So if you are God's, if you belong to him, if you are justified by him, you have the spirit within you, and that spirit is opposed to the flesh. Now when Paul uses flesh here, he is not talking about like our flesh, like flesh and blood. What he's talking about is our desires that are sinful, that we are born with as a consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve. We have a disposition that is opposed to God. It's why it is natural for us to be selfish. It's why it is natural for us to want things regardless of what God says about them. It's why it is natural for us to walk in disobedience rather than obedience. It's why for many of us and for many of our children, probably the first words were no. And if not the first word, the second word. Very quickly. We have a will of our own that is opposed to God. That's what he means by the flesh. So you see this conflict. It's flesh versus spirit. It's this mortal desire to self-gratification, however you say that in the right tense. And it's temporal. It's fleeting. And the spirit is immortal. The spirit is patient. The spirit is constant. The spirit is sure. And this tension resides within each of us. And after describing this tension and summarizing it in verse 17, Paul gives us this incredibly wonderful, ambiguous statement. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Well, you can read that both ways, can't you? Part of you wants to indulge your sinful desires. Part of me wants to indulge my sinful desires. But God has given you the spirit to keep you from doing what you want to do. The other hand, it's part of you now in Christ is a child of God, wants to live for God, wants to please God, and therefore it prevents you from acting on those sinful desires. It prevents you from doing what you want to do. You want to please God with, on one hand, and on the other, you want to live for yourself. This is the tension that exists with, within each of us. And so after laying the groundwork for that, he goes into these two lists. And did you notice that? Just, I, I mean, reading it, there's 15 different items that are specific works of the flesh. It's hard to get through that. You can just get, it just is, you just get tense. There's so, it's like a concentrated version of just a bunch of filth. 
a bunch of things that you don't want, you don't want to think about, you don't want to look at. And then the contrast of the fruit of the Spirit is just like a balm. It's a salve. It's something that we want to soak in. Something that we want to embody. Something that we want to experience more and more. But we have to talk about the works of the flesh. And like I said, in this list, there's something for everybody. There's something for everybody. So no matter what your natural disposition is, no matter what your kind of like political or partisan beliefs and standpoints are, no matter who you are, how you were raised, where you come from, something in here will probably upset you or cause conviction or remind you that you are not perfect yet. And so before we kind of categorize, we're not going to go in depth because there's just too many of them and we have to get to the Spirit, but we're going to kind of look at some of the categories that these can be grouped into to give you a framework, to give you some ideas of like where you should be looking in your own life for how you are gratifying the works of the flesh. But before we get there, I want to make a note about what it means to gratify the works of the flesh and to walk in them. So what Paul is talking about specifically when he says um, in, let's see, in verse 21, the, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's talking about is, he's talking about people who have given themselves to those things. He's talking about people who are just kind of like unreluctantly pursuing them, who are just unbothered, just happy to go about their life. He's not talking about people who hate those things, and do them every now and then, who are tempted by them, who notice them in their lives. That's not what he's talking about. And that's important because otherwise it might cause all of us to despair. But he is talking about the danger of not killing these things and how they grow, how they take over a life of faith, and how they will keep you from the kingdom of God if you indulge them. So after making that note, let's dive into this list. So the first three, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, these all have to do with human sexuality. So this is the category here. And the first word that is translated sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. And it's a technical word that had a context and an understanding prepackaged with it. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to impose your own understanding of morality or sexual immorality onto this word because then you're not actually understanding the word of God. You are creating your own words. And so what does it mean? What does sexual immorality mean? And it's actually a really broad term, but it has a very specific meaning. And it's broad because it is any and all sexual expression that happens outside of the context of a covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. All. It's very broad. All sexual immorality is a work of the flesh. 
But it's not just what we do. It's not just the behavior that is a work of the flesh. It's all impurity. It's all taint. It's all desire. Impurity, sensuality, they get beyond just the expression of sexuality and get into our heart what we want. So yes, do we live in a world that glories in all kinds of sexual immorality? Yes. Do we live in a world that demands approval and affirmation for all types of sexual immorality? Yes. But as Christians, we can't be satisfied to just look at the external. Those are important. It's in here in the list. But we also have to look at our own hearts. We have to look at our desires. And notice, Paul doesn't say, well, yeah, you're probably only struggling with this if you're not married. Being married does not all of a sudden just magic wand. You don't struggle with impure thoughts. You don't struggle with sexual immorality anymore. No, any sexual expression, any self-gratification, any impure desire thought that enters your mind is in this category. It's a work of the flesh. And what it's doing is it's just increasing selfishness. It's increasing pride. It's increasing a heart that wants to define good and evil on its own terms. It's a work of the flesh. The next grouping of words is just two, idolatry and sorcery. And these have to do with worship, your worship of God. And idolatry is simply placing anything in the place of God and treating something as if they're an ultimate thing. And this can be a good thing. You can treat a good thing as an ultimate thing and it be an act of idolatry. And then sorcery, in the original context, had to do with kind of like poisoning people, using medicine to poison people using medicine to control, using different drugs to kind of manipulate circumstances so that your advantage is better than it was before. Or to take revenge, to seek your own form of justice. I was thinking about how, for many people, passive aggression becomes a form of sorcery. It's not honest, but it gets the point across, and you use it to control, to manipulate. How emotional manipulation, how reading people, trying to control them through what you say, ways that we become sorcerers in our modern day. Or even the extent to which we trust external things to make our circumstances exactly how we want them, and reject God's providence, the circumstances that he has given us. How we use modern medicine to do things we probably shouldn't do. So, we're sorcerers as well. This isn't just ancient. We're doing the same things in a modern context. The next grouping here, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, they all have to do with our communal life together. 
And it's the reality that the works of the flesh cause divisions. It creates factions. It harms the unity of God's church. It puts people against each other. And this is this is one, I think, that probably goes underground in our community often. Our culture, we don't really, uh, we don't really value people who express anger vehemently or have outbursts of anger. That's kind of like something that would produce shame or embarrassment. And so we internalize it. And so you can insert into this list bitterness Hardness of heart, canceling someone, giving them the silent treatment, cutting them out of your life. It's an act of anger. It's an act of division. It's an act of setting yourself apart from them. And it creates rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And so what you have as the flesh works itself out is the flesh starts to isolate us from one another. It cuts off communication. It cuts off the channels that God uses to keep us together. And so we're isolated. And then this final section of the list, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Orgies, we already talked about kind of like the human sexuality category. It's not talking about probably what jumps into our mind when we think of orgies. This is just very overindulgent feasts and parties. So there's not necessarily sexual connotations to it, but there certainly could be. Especially in Greek culture, there might be. But what it's looking at is just this indulgence of our desires, sensuality. It's like, I want that, so I'm going to get it. I want that extravagant vacation, even though I've already had seven vacations this year, so we're going to neglect our responsibilities and go. I want that most expensive thing, even though I really am not being very generous towards other people. So I'm going to indulge that desire. Right? It's YOLO. You only live once, so you do you. Treat yourself. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overcorrect here and say, yeah, therefore, if you do, if you ever buy a nice thing for yourself, then clearly you're, you know, you're participating in an orgy. No, that's not what this text is meaning. It's like just way over the top. So showy. And what it does is it's just saying, you know what, I am more important than other people. What I experience, what I get, means more to me than anybody else. And it will isolate you too. So this list, this list, there's something for all of us here. And here's what I would encourage you to do, what I am encouraging myself to do, and to keep doing for the rest of your life, is get to know yourself. We like to get to know ourselves. We take lots of personality tests. This is a personality test. Where do you find your sinful flesh? Where do you find 
the works of your flesh, where are you prone to express yourself sinfully? As a parent, I was terrified at how early on you can kind of identify besetting sins in different kids. And you see, oh, this one's going to struggle with this, and this one's going to struggle with that. And I was thinking, I just, I need to make a note of that and to help my kids because they will struggle with that. And we struggle with it. And so do you know where you're weak? Where you, do you know where you're going to be tempted? Do you know where you are prone to temptation? If you don't, please ask some of your friends. Look at this list. Do some soul searching. Ask God to reveal that to you. So that you don't just give yourself over to it. So that you don't just all of a sudden be consumed by that sinful desire. In verse 24, we're given instructions for what to do. So it's not just becoming aware. It's not just like, oh, well, now I know this. I'll just keep, keep about my daily life. No, in verse 24, we have this strong statement. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, the tense in here is confusing because it's past tense. So it's like, oh, that's great. We've already done it. Don't have to do it anymore. We can just, no. What it's communicating here is something certain. It's not communicating chronologically. It's communicating certainty. So it would be like you're sitting, waiting for the sunrise, and the first glimmer of light, you say, the sun came up today. Well, it hasn't, but it's certain. That's what this verse is communicating to us, is that when you belong to Christ, you hate the flesh, so much so that you will crucify it. Now, crucifying is probably not as easy as it sounds. I don't know. I've never crucified anybody. But I can only imagine that it's not something that you can just say, oh, okay, one day I'm going to crucify somebody. Right? When you actually think about what it entails, it requires strength. It requires some skill. It requires a deep desire to carry through with the act. And so what Paul is saying is that when you belong to Christ, you so hate your sin that you train yourself all your life in the art of killing it, of getting rid of it. You give it no quarter. You're not merciful to your flesh. You kill your sin. And it also reminds us of a verse that came before in Galatians 2, verse 20. And it shows us just a slightly different side of what it means to belong to Christ. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. This verse says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Notice the difference? One is passive. 
In 2.20, it's talking about something that happens to us. That when we come to faith in Jesus, we attach ourselves to his crucifixion. The penalty for our sins is placed on him. That happens to us. We're passive. We receive that. We're talking about sanctification now. And in sanctification, we are active. We have crucified. It's that certain. Our flesh. We have crucified it. And so sanctification, unlike what I think a lot of us are prone to thinking, is not passive. We don't just wait quietly in our houses for ourselves to be sanctified one day. No, God involves us. He wants us to remind us that we are his image bearers. And so he wants us to participate in our sanctification. Yes, it's by the Spirit. The Spirit has started it. It empowers it. And it comes from the act of Jesus' death. That is the power of our sanctification. And we participate in it. So we don't just passively wait for it. This is an active process. So there's skill in putting it to death, a strong desire for it to die, and now we're going to talk about what to put in its place. Because when you plant seeds of the Spirit, it chokes out the weeds of our sin. So we need to cultivate and yearn for these fruit of the Spirit. Getting back to the Australian commercial, doesn't end there, because that would be a weird commercial. Um, there's something that brings the generation gap back together, that closes the gap. And as they're kind of like all yelling at each other and frustrated and divided, there's something that interrupts that and that brings the generation back together, and it's the smell. Oh, it smells so good. It's a smell that captures their imaginations that captures their appetites and their desires, and all of a sudden they want that more than they want to be fighting. And so it interrupts it. And I think that's a good way of understanding the fruit of the Spirit. It's this aroma. It's a smell that foretells something delicious. And it's the aroma of Christ, isn't it? The fruit are desirable and beautiful and beautiful, especially in the contrast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the list and we'll put up on the screen some of the things that we are praying for. And I'm just going to read it again because I think that one of the best ways to plant these seeds, to water them, is to pray for these fruit. And so you can make notes. You can also ask me for the list. I'll give it to you. Um, And this is just like really quick. It's not everything you could say about them obviously, but it's just like a really quick desire that I have for us as a church, that as we pursue these fruit, we're asking God for this. So love, that we would grow in love towards God and towards neighbor, looking for opportunities to express our gratitude for all that God has done in Christ. Joy, that we would abound in the joy of our salvation that we'd be known as a people who have joy in all seasons, not dependent on circumstances, but in a great trust that God is good. Peace, that we would be a people known for tranquility and steadfastness, 
in a world of chaos and anxiety, that our lives would be peaceful and quiet, ready to make peace in all of our spheres of influence, for patience, that our trust in God's provision for every need would not be hurried, that we would humbly submit to God's timing in our lives for all things, waiting for him to act. Kindness, that we would be known as a people of kindness that's not grounded in a fear of man, but of fear of God, that we would humbly bring encouragement and warmth in our interactions without sacrificing truth. Goodness, that our goodness would be a reflection of God's goodness, not based on our own wisdom, but reflecting the purity and beauty of God, that it would be a goodness that goes to our neighbor despite any persecution and in all seasons, for faithfulness, that we would follow through with our convictions, that honesty and fidelity would increase in all of our interactions with God and with our neighbor. Gentleness, that our interactions, conversation, and impact on those around us would not aim to provoke hostility, but that by our knowledge of a Savior who is gentle and lowly in heart, we would exude a tenderness that is receivable by both friend and enemy. And then self-control, that our flesh would not have mastery over our will, but that in obedience to our faithful Lord and Savior, we would submit every desire to the Lordship of Christ and use our strength and freedom as a service to God. I want that for us. I want that for my life. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of its presence indwelling us, grow and increase. Now, here's something that's really frustrating. When you plant a seed, when you're gardening, it doesn't grow overnight. And if you've ever done any gardening with kids... This is, you have to have this conversation before you do it. You have to say, now we're going to plant the seeds and nothing will happen for a very long time. And then maybe we'll see a little sprout. And then maybe if we don't step on that, that sprout will grow into a flower, right? And it's the same for us. We must be patient with this. The fruit of the Spirit grows over the course of our lifetime. And it's really hard to see the progress. It's really hard sometimes to see the growth. And so it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get envious because you see someone else's life. And so you say, well, if I only had that, then I'd be better. And, you know, if I only had more time like they do, if I only had that right relationship, be patient with God's work and labor for it. Join Him in it. I saw another video of this little boy who's probably like four and he's some version of karate or something. I don't know. He's trying to kick through a board. It's just like a flimsy little board and he can't do it and he can't do it and he can't do it and he's getting really frustrated and he's crying and he, he just wants to give up. And all of his other you know, classmates are encouraging him on saying, you can do it. Keep going. Keep going. He gets really angry and just not able to do it, and then finally he does, and the whole place erupts in joy. I think that's a picture of what it looks like when a community is invested in each other's lives for killing sin, 
for pulling it out by the root and for laboring for the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives. Because this isn't something that you do on your own. You don't do this in the power of your strength. This doesn't say the self-discipline from your own personality or your own abilities. It's self-discipline that comes from the Spirit that's cultivated in the community of the Spirit is how this grows. And so our work is long and hard, but it does have an end. And so together as a church, we need to work with each other in this work. And we are promised that we will be sanctified. That there is an end to this particular work where our sin will be no more. And when Jesus returns, these branches will be visibly connected to the vine again. The stones will be visibly joined to the cornerstone and the foundation. The bride will be with the bridegroom. And we will be sanctified. We will be filled with the Spirit. And only the Spirit and the desires of the flesh will have passed away. And so, yes, it's hard. Yes, we're all tired. I wish we didn't have to do it. But in God's goodness, he wants us to persevere. He wants us to know the power that he has given us in the, in the Spirit, because it's Christ's Spirit. The thing, the smell that brought back the generations together, guess what it was? This is too good. Well, it's grilled lamb, of course. <laughs> the lamb. The aroma of the lamb. Yes, it's an ad for Australian lamb. <laughs> but really, it's a beautiful picture of the sanctifying power of Christ, the true Passover lamb, our sacrifice. When we are filled With his goodness, we are united to each other because we're united to him. And we overcome our own evil desires. We overcome the evil intentions of the enemy. And we are a testament to God's goodness in this world. And so as the grass withers and the flowers fade, we can trust that God's word endures forever. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your promise that the Spirit will overcome, that though we are plagued by trials, though we are too quick to give in to the temptations of our own flesh, that the Spirit of adoption continues to grow. And so, Lord, help us. Give us opportunity, even this week, this morning, to hear your call, to be your children. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in our justification, and we ask that you would give us opportunity to walk in obedience in our sanctification, that we would become more and more a clear and powerful image of your people, a bride worthy of your Son, a place where you dwell 
happily with your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.